Names matter, which is why we are studying the names of God and beginning a 16-week series. We're going to look at 16 names of God that are in Scripture. And you may ask yourself, why this way? Why are we studying the names of God? Well, let me stage this whole series by taking you to Proverbs 18.10 to start us off. And I haven't done this in a long time uh, because people haven't been here But you know, my habit has pretty much been to have people say Scripture with me. So we're going to bring up Proverbs 18.10 this morning, and wherever you are, by faith, I'm going to believe that you're saying it with me. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are saved. That phrase at the beginning of this verse, the name of the Lord, appears more than 200 times in Scripture. It's an important concept. You know, it's Father's Day, and I want to say Happy Father's Day to those of you that are out there who are dads, and uh, those of you who are missing your dads, and those of you who never had a dad and have found Jesus uh, to lead you to your heavenly Father. Just want to honor all those different things and memories that are out there, but I was thinking about how my kids have a name for me, right? It's Dad. When they were younger, it was Daddy, but it's not my only name. I am Thomas when I'm in trouble with my parents as a kid. In fact, Thomas John when I was, I knew, I knew the level of, of pain I was going to experience in my punishment based on how much of my name was formal or not. To my brothers and sisters, I'll always be Tommy. Can't say I'm crazy about that, but when they say it, I feel loved. You know, to people around this church, I'm pastor, right? Hopefully some call me friend. I know one woman that hopefully calls me lover. All those names describe me, see. If you took all those different names and put them together, you could get a good sense of who I am as a person, see. That's true of God. The name of the Lord matters. In in biblical times, names especially mattered a great deal because they spoke about a person's character or their nature or even their purpose or abilities or actions. Names really mattered. A great example is uh, Abram, uh, who in in that case, his, his name at the point when we meet him in the Bible is almost a mockery because it means father, and he is father, he is childless. Sarai is barren, and yet God promises he will become a father, not just a father of one, but of a whole nation. And then later on, after many years of waiting, God symbolically changes Abram's name to Abraham. Abram means father. Abraham means father of many. It was a promise The name meant something about God's purpose for Abraham. I heard somebody say he moved from being called Daddy to Big Daddy. And and names matter, you see, in Scripture. And that's why all of the names of God matter, because each one gives us a different angle of the God who we worship. And I want you to know our worship, as A.W. Tozer said, is either high or base based on your view of God. Our religion, our faith, is either true or false based on 
how high our understanding of God is. And I just want to be clear, one of the things about God is that he cannot be fully known, right? He makes it very clear, your ways, my ways, your ways are not my ways, your thoughts are not my thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth are my thoughts and my ways above yours. He is beyond searching out, Scripture says. We cannot ever know God fully because as soon as we think we know God fully, he stops being God. It becomes a doctrinal statement. See? There is mystery. But we can know what God has revealed to us about himself. In fact, we are responsible to know all that God has revealed to us about himself. And so one very important way to understand that is through his name. We're still setting the stage for the whole series, so look with me at Psalm 20, verse 7. Some may trust in horses, some may trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. The word trust there means boast. In fact, King James, I think, uses the word boast. We will boast in the name of our Lord. It means to have confidence in. And so think about that. To know God's name is to know him. To trust God's name is to have confidence in who he is. And so that's why we're going on this journey. I think it's going to be amazing. My prayer for each of us is that God will heighten our understanding. I don't know where you run when your wells run dry. I don't know where you run when you're in fear or in desperation, right? But the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. That's the journey we're going to be on, and I get the privilege today of introducing you to the very first name of God that appears in the Bible. In fact, it's the third word of our scriptures when it says, in the beginning, God. And the word, the name is Elohim. And what it means is God the creator, the one true God of all. In Genesis chapter 1, we see this name first appear and what I'm going to do throughout this is quite often, rather than using the English translation, I'm going to interject the Hebrew name. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. That name, Elohim, is one of the three primary names for God in the Old Testament Scripture. We're going to get familiar with all three of them. Elohim, Yahweh, or what we now often refer to as Jehovah, but actually Yahweh, and Adonai. Every time you see the word God in your translation of the Bible, it's highly likely that the Hebrew word there is Elohim. When you see the word Lord, and it's all in capitals, that's the way of the translators helping us know that that use of Lord is God's personal name, Yahweh. And then when you see Lord just with a capital L and lowercase o-r-d, that's the word Adonai. And so that's one way when you're reading through the Old Testament to know which of the names of God are being mentioned based on how they're designated in the English translation. But what that means is, is that the name Elohim appears well over 2,500 times 
in the Old Testament. It appears 32 times in the very first chapter of the Bible, which only has 31 verses. This is a very important name. One of the things I'd encourage you to do as a follow-up to this, maybe in your morning devotionals, is to read Genesis 1, and every time you see the word God, add the word Elohim. And here's what it means. The word El is used as a primary designation for a God, or, or the God in this case. And at its core, it means strength, or all-powerful. That's what it means. And the word Elohim, that extension, here's something you're going to find very interesting, is plural. And so the first name that we run into that is the name for God is actually plural. It would be as though my first name was Toms, Thomases, you see. And, and we, we might ask, well, maybe should the translation be in the beginning God's created the heaven and the earth? But that's not the case. Elohim is meant to be and is taught in Scripture as the name of the one true creator God, the all-powerful God who brought all things into being, just as we sang just a few moments ago. That is who we're talking about. And just to make that clear, we go to uh, the, the Shema in Deuteronomy 6.4 that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now once again, I'm going to insert the actual Hebrew names. And if you feel up to it, say this with me. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, our Elohim, is one Yahweh. And so let's be clear, it's not meant to say that God's created. In fact, the thing that sets Genesis 1 apart from all other creation myths that are out there at the time of Moses' writing is that it is distinctly monotheistic. But what we see in the name Elohim, this is fascinating, the very first and one of the most commonly used names for God in all the Bible hints at and teases at what becomes very clear as Scripture unfolds that while God is one, He exists in three persons. We call that the Trinity. He's one God who mystically exists in three persons. Don't try to find an earthly comparison that will completely explain that. It's one of the mysteries, but it's clearly taught in the Bible. And we actually see it in Genesis chapter 1. You, we've been through this before, but in verse 26 and 27, we have this playoff as God speaks within the Godhead. Then Elohim said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And then in verse 27, so Elohim created mankind in his own image. In the image of Elohim, he created them, male and female, he created them. And so we already see this idea that God is having a conversation within the Godhead. Let us create man in our image. And then he acts as the one true God in creating humanity in his image. We also see, by the way, the Holy Spirit. We see God the Father speaking, and then we actually see the presence of the Holy Spirit in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens of the earth. Then verse 2, Now the earth was formless and empty, 
Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit of Elohim was hovering over the waters. So we see the Elohim, who is referred to as the Father in the Trinity. We see the Spirit. Do we see the Son in creation? Well, in the beginning of the Gospel of John, John the Apostle helps us understand fully the Son's presence in uh, the first three verses of his gospel, his story about Jesus. In this case, it's an allegory, and it refers to Jesus as the Word, who he would later say, the Word became flesh and dwelt a while among us. But this is how he begins. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word with means face to face. So there's a distinct personality when it says the word Jesus was with the Father, was with God. But then he goes on, he says, and at the same time, the word was God. So face-to-face in relationship, and yet one in essence. And then he goes on and he says, he was with God in the beginning. In other words, before things began, the Son was with God. So the Son is eternal, the Father is eternal, the Holy Spirit is eternal. They existed together, they were before anything was made. And that's why it goes on and says, through Him, Jesus, all things were made, all things that were made were made through Jesus, who is not made. Does that make sense? And without Him, nothing was made that has been made. All right, maybe for some of you, you weren't expecting a theology course here. But it's so important that you grasp this because the doctrine of the Trinity is really core to our Christian faith. All that we understand Jesus is, is rooted in the idea of the Trinity. It is his divine nature that makes true faith what it is. All right? And so this is who Elohim is. He is the one true creator of all. But here's the amazing thing. Elohim is not just used to describe this magnificent, all-powerful God who said into the void, let there be light. And boom, there was light. By the way, there's the big bang for you if you're wondering where it was. Bang, there it was. There was light. The heavens and the earth. That's amazing. That's a, that's a God who would be terrifying were it not for who else Elohim is. The second facet that we're going to look at quickly is that Elohim is not just the creator. Elohim is our creator. The creator of all, the one true God, has a very unique relationship with the human race. We'll go back to that verse at the very beginning in Genesis 1.27. Elohim created mankind in his own image. In the image of Elohim, he created them male and female. He created them. And so we see both men and women, part of the one humanity, both are image bearers. Think about this. When we say in the image of God, what we're saying is we were created in the image of Elohim, the one true creating God. Say that. I was created in the image of Elohim. That's the name we're referring to. Not only were we created more in the image of God, and what that means is that when God looks at the human race, he sees more of his nature, his personality, his actions, 
mirrored in us than any other part of his creation. But even more than that, God does something very unique and distinct when he makes man. We see that in the second chapter of Genesis, verse 7, when it says, Then Yahweh, Elohim, formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of God. And man became, your translation may say, living being, but that word is very distinct because it encompasses the concept of the soul. What makes us bear the image of Elohim more than anything is that we have a soul. I know that's hard to believe when you look at me, but even I have soul. A little joke there, sorry. I don't, I don't know if anybody's laughing out there. I, I need somebody to go bada boom on the drums, I think, sometimes here. We all have soul. We are spirit. We are, we, we are multifaceted as well as beings, even though we are not distinct personalities within us. We mirror that. We alone are both physical and spiritual. We live in this physical realm, but yet we have communion with God who also is spirit. So you see, so God's relationship, Elohim's relationship with mankind is amazing and dramatic. And the psalmist reflects that in the eighth psalm when he says, Lord, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. In other words, he's looking at the work of Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And the psalmist says, when I look at all of this and am awed by it, I have to ask this question. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? And human beings that you care for them? This is one of the amazing truths of the one true, all-powerful creator God who thought and spoke all that is into being. He is mindful of us. That what that means is that he is aware, he is intent, he is constantly paying attention to us. But not only that, the word is he cares for us. You may have a translation that says, and human beings are the son of man, that you visit him. This God, who the, who the psalmist says, the earth is your footstool, not only is aware and intent on the human race, has very special purpose and meaning for us. He engages with us. He, didn't just, he didn't just wind the clock and walk away of the universe. He engages personally with us. And I know there's people out there who can say amen to that right now and should be tapping something on the live stream to say, that God has engaged with me. I, I have felt his hand. I have felt his presence. Some of us would say, I've even heard his voice. That's Elohim. What is man that you are not only aware, but you visit us. You have purpose and plans and you work and care for humanity. But yet there's a third aspect of Elohim. Elohim is the one true creator. Elohim is our creator. But Elohim is my creator. He's your creator. 
creator. It is Elohim who seeks and desires to have a personal relationship with us. It is Elohim who engages intricately in each of our lives in the forming of it, even the physical. Read Psalm 139. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I had many years in my life when I wouldn't have said that about me. But I, I want to tell you, every one of you, no matter how you're feeling about yourself, no matter what other people have told you about your worth and, and who you are, every one of you should go look in the mirror, look at yourself, and say, Lord, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I know your works well. Because God created you. Every part of you is wonderful. And for some of it, it's uniquely yours. His unique little attention on you. And it might be what some would consider a limitation on this world, but that's God's hand at work doing something beautiful through it in you. That's Elohim forming your inmost being. When I was a kid, I had a real hard time thinking that I measured up. I, I had a wonderful big brother who was Adonis. He was a wrestler. He was full of muscles. He was good looking. He had that charm. The girls dated him. I actually dated a girl at one time for a while in junior high. And then when she came out of her kind of ugly duckling stage into this beautiful girl, she started dating my brother. You know, my brother was that guy, you know, and, 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 and I, I used to think, you know, when God created, we were on the assembly line, like my brother comes up, he says, oh, here's Richie Sparling. I'm going to, wow, I'm going to give you a, big, a great smile, Rich. You're going to be strong. Here, have a muscle. <laughs> Take lots of muscles. There you go. Have, have a great life, Rich. And then I came along. Here's Tom Sparling. Here's Sally. You know, I just kind of felt, I was a, I was a Q-tip. My brother was like, you know. Mm, still is. It took me a long time to realize that I am fearfully and wonderfully made in my own way and to celebrate that and realize that God loved me, did a precious work in me. The psalmist goes on, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's an interesting phrase. All the days ordained for me. So some would take that to mean that every single thing is plotted out for us. And Scripture's kind of clear that's not the case. But there are certainly days in all of our lives that God has ordained as part of his purpose for us. And he knows them. And in his sovereignty, he will bring those days, those experiences... Of course, the word day could mean a season or even an epoch. But he will bring those things into our life as the one who is mindful, who visits and works for his glory and for our good. It's amazing, isn't it? That brings us to Psalm 63, where the psalmist says, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Here's what he's really saying. And this is what we can say to the one true 
all-powerful God of everything. Oh, Elohim, you are my Elohim. And so I can seek you earnestly, and you promise if I seek you with all my heart, I'll be found by you. That's an amazing thing. What a, what a great image. This very first name that we come to reminds us of the God of wonders who's beyond our galaxy, who cares for us, who forms us, who ordains his purposes in our life, and who looks at you and says, I made something amazing. You, you are fearfully and wonderfully made by Elohim. And you can say to him, Elohim, you are my Elohim. Father, our first step in this journey of discovery, Elohim, creator of all, and yet the one who distinctly brings all of that creative wonder and beauty and power to bear in our individual lives. We just pause in this moment and say to you, Elohim, you are my Elohim, and I will seek you. Lord, may these days of discovery as we walk through your names be a fresh seeking in our hearts, a, a, a fresh journey of a deeper and more wondrous opportunity. May our faith become more true. May our worship become more glorious as we see who you are in all of your beauty. In Jesus' name, amen.